0: Today
1: on Ag News Daily. Well, as a child, my dad was a Swiss meatpacking man, so if my mom needed to run errands or something, she would drop me off at work, and I'd play hide-and-seek with the butcher between the hanging sides of beef.
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's Ashton Carr, joined by Delaney Howell on this Wednesday afternoon. Delaney, how's your Wednesday looking so far? Well, my length has been pretty good. I got to go out and visit an Iowa pork producer doing a little
2: shoot with them. So it's always good when I get to go out and see actual folks on the farm and, you know, get that connection, get that back in my mind. So it's been pretty fun. I love going out and talking to folks about their stories.
0: It sounds like it was a lot of fun, Delaney. I'm a little bit jealous. I wish I could get out and about myself. And today was actually the beginning of National Ag Farm Broadcasters Convention. And we'll be, of course, talking a little bit more about the convention and featuring some of the sessions later this week. So folks, be sure to tune in.
2: I'm unfortunately really sad that we had to make that convention virtual this year, Ashton. And it would have been your first convention convention experience too, so I'm sad you don't get to experience that. It's such a good one to just see other folks who are covering ag broadcasting, you know, spreading the good word of ag, but also it's just such a fun convention overall. It's really honestly one of my favorites.
0: Yes, I am a little bit bummed that we weren't able to make it to Kansas City, but I can just, you know, feel the love and, and feel how great the convention is still virtually because in the chat folks are are talking and I actually had someone reach out to me. That's a, a fellow Texan. So that was really nice. And so it's just a shame that we had to do it virtually. But there's still the amazingness, I guess I'll call it.
2: Yeah, there's definitely a connection there that uh folks have. But I tell you what, Ashton, here's a connection that a lot of folks here in Iowa, including myself, are probably a little upset about. But Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa, senior senator here in the state, tested positive for coronavirus on Tuesday. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with Senator Grassley, actually, I'm not sure how familiar you are. Um, he's been in the Senate for quite some time. He's about 87, and he is probably one of the most active people I know. Uh, you know, for a long time, it was rumored that he would go out and run three, five miles a day So I guess as far as folks go for getting coronavirus, he's probably going to kick this one right in the chest.
0: I'm certainly hoping so. And I I think we've had Senator Grassley on the podcast before, Mm -hmm. and he is, you know, a great person to talk to. So I'm really hoping that he has a quick recovery. But I want to talk a little bit more about COVID-19 here and more specifically transmission of COVID-19 because I've been talking about a few stories about China claiming that they have found positive nucleic acid tests of of COVID-19 on some packaging from 20 countries and the USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service has come out and said that there is no evidence to support transmission of COVID-19 associated with imported goods and You know, I thought that this was already made clear earlier in the pandemic, but I guess as, you know, new information has rolled out and we've had to deal more and more with the coronavirus, we have, you know, found out even more information, but the UN Food and Agriculture Organization has agreed that there is no evidence of transmission of COVID-19 on packaging of foods. And an FSIS spokesperson has told Brownfield Ag News that COVID-19 cannot be transmitted by food or food packaging and that there are no reported cases in the U.S. associated with imported goods. And the spokesperson, I might add, also said that, Personnel in plants who are ill with COVID-19 or any other illness are excluded from work activities that could create unsanitary conditions like coughing or sneezing on products. So I'm anxious to see if China comes out with a statement about this or if they want to give more details about these tests, but definitely thought it was something to keep our eye out on on the day. Yeah, absolutely. And uh not
2: to make light of the situation, but Ashton, I tell you what, I'm always scared when I cough or sneeze that people are gonna think that I have COVID. And I was talking to a coworker today, it's like anytime I have any sort of symptom like a headache or I start coughing, I feel like COVID has made me a hypochondriac and thinking, Oh no, do I have do I have COVID now? Do I have symptoms? But yeah, not to make too much light of the situation, but just feels like the media hopefully we're not part of the media that's playing into it, but it it feels like it's really been obviously all they're really talking about besides the elections. It seems so.
0: Oh no, I totally agree with you. I'm a pretty anxious and kind of a hypochondriac to begin with. And so if I, (laughs) I get any kind of, you know, weird feeling, I'm like, Oh my goodness, I am fixing to have to go get COVID tested.
2: Oh man. I hope not. That's the case. But, uh, you know, I wanted to just mention something here on the podcast really quick. I had a Twitter uh, Twitter guy tweet at me yesterday or two days ago, maybe now. I'm um, just asking about my skepticism behind the election. And I just wanted to clear that up for folks. I'm not trying to be negative in any sense about this uh, this election, to be quite honest. It matters, but I don't think it's going to really change my life drastically if the election goes one way or the other. And I guess just to clear paint a clearer picture of why I have skepticism still around the election. I think there's just a lot of questions that remain as far as these allegations of absentee fraud or, or ballot fraud. I think there's a lot of questions that remain there, whether or not we see any actual legal action come forth is another question. And then just thinking back to the 2000 election between Gore and Bush, you know, that one was, I think like 37, 34 days, something like that, where, Al Gore was our next next president, presumptive president elect. And then it ended up being that um, President Bush ended up securing that that year's election. So I am not trying to paint a picture one way or the other. I just wanted to clear that up for folks who had questions about why I have skepticism about this election. That's why I think there's just a lot of questions that remain out there. And I, I don't really know, you know, besides the media calling it one way or the other, you know, We haven't really seen any sort of concrete statement. and Again, I don't even know who would release that statement as to say, "Okay, yep, Vice President, former Vice President Biden is now our new president elect. Other than the media, I guess I don't know who else out there is going to call that. Uh, But I just wanted to put that out there for folks that had questions about why I was skeptical about it, Ashton.
0: Yeah, Delaney, I actually kind of agree with you there. I think that it's also important for, you know, folks who are reporting about the election or, you know, President-elect Joe Biden's transition team, like we've been talking about so much is that it, it's not set in in concrete just yet. And so I think it's important for us to, you know, one, not be biased, I guess, and, and report mm-hmm. the facts that we know. And the facts that we know is that nothing is for sure as of yet.
2: Right, absolutely. I just wanted to put that out there. But one thing we do know concretely, Ashton, is that things are continuing to heat up between China and Australia. China has further escalated the situation as of Tuesday. They released a dossier of 14 different grievances against the Australian government from their embassy in Canberra. And so among those grievances are allegations that the Australian government and their prime minister had, of course, been spearheading a crusade against China's relationship with Hong Kong and Taiwan, as well as, quote unquote, siding with the United States' anti-China campaign and spreading anti-China racist rhetoric. Sounds like there's a lot of political issues going on between those two countries. Now, again, the reason we're continuing to watch this story so closely is because Australia is, I believe, China's either second largest or third largest source of wheat. And China is the world's second largest buyer of wheat worldwide. And, you know, posing that we haven't seen them officially ban uh, Australian wheat yet. That's the lingering threat out there. But if they do ban Australian wheat imports, then China's going to have to turn to somebody else. And that's going to create a really big global flux here. Uh, you know, we don't see this being talked about a whole lot yet in other mainstream media. So we're going to continue keeping an eye on it because it could have a long term, large implications.
0: So Delaney, is Australia a part of this new trade agreement? Or did I create that up in my head?
2: Yes, the RCEP, R-C-E-P agreement China and Australia are both part of it. So that's the other piece of the puzzle that I don't completely understand yet is they, under that agreement, should be having free trade or reduced tariffs, at least, between their countries. So
0: I'm not sure how that
2: dynamic really works out either, Ashton.
0: Sounds a little bit like a frenemy kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. That's a good way to put it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, Delaney, I just have one more piece of news for today. It was a little bit of a slower one as I was kind of wrapped up in NAFB. But Sweden has now culled 3,200 turkeys after finding bird flu in one of its farms, effectively bringing to a halt the country's poultry exports to markets outside the EU for three months at the least. And of course, this... Coal comes after a series of outbreaks of the H5N8 bird flu that I have been talking about. And it is just really taking a a big hit in those European countries and as well as some others as well. But the disease was found in the the southern Swedish region and had already killed about 14,000 turkeys on that farm before the coal began. And so... I'm anticipating seeing a few other countries come out and hopefully we get some some, I guess, restrictions or or preventative methods, I should say. And hopefully, Mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't take too big of a toll as we continue.
2: I'm sure we're going to see some guidelines come out at some point in time. It's just a matter of when. But Ash and I have just uh, one other little market story here before we chat where markets ended today. Actually, kind of two little blips, if you will. Both related to soybeans, however. On the one hand, we're seeing NOPA crush numbers are at record highs. Uh, This crush is at about 175.4 bushels a year, Soybean crush numbers, NOPA crush numbers, are well ahead of time. They're rising to record paces, and that's helping pull soybean inventories lower. And soybean oil inventories at the end of last month were at 148.7 billion pounds compared to a 1.4 to 3 billion earlier this year. So we're seeing that pick up pace. We're also seeing the crush in September was about a 161.8. 49 million bushels. Um, So we're seeing things move right along there on the NOPA crush numbers. We're also seeing some really strong reactions in the soybean market to South American weather. We saw this week, uh, yesterday, and today, we've seen some of the highest prices in January soybean futures that we have in six months, or excuse me, six years. The highest price for a most active contract since 2014. We saw in January soybean futures yesterday. Yeah, despite the fact that showers in South America are likely to happen here. So put a bit of a mixed bag there with South America getting some much needed rain. But, but uh, soybean futures seem to shrug off the news and they moved right along even into today's trading session,
0: Ashton. You know, some of the NF... NAFB conversations, you know, not just today, but for the rest of the week are concerning, you know, where the commodity market is right now and and things during COVID, how we recover and that kind of stuff. So I'm interested in seeing what folks have to say about the commodity market and where we're at right now and what we might be able to look at down the road.
2: Yep, absolutely. That's something we're always going to be talking about, unfortunately, here in agriculture, but that's something we're going to talk about right now, Ashton, as we hop into today's markets. Like I mentioned, soybeans chugging right along, as well as all the other grain markets for today. The December corn contract finished up five and a half cents to close at 4.25 and three quarters. The March up three and three quarters to close at 4.30 and a half. In the soybean pits, the January contract up six cents to close at 1175 and three quarters. The March up six and a quarter to close at 1174 and a half. Chicago wheat higher as well today as the December contract added two and a half cents to close at 597 and three quarters. The March up three and a half to close at 606 and a half. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets. We saw some weakness today as the December live cattle contract pulled back 67 and a half cents to close at 110.65. The February down 42 and a half. To close at $113.15. In feeder cattle, November shed 35 cents to close at 137 The January down $2.42 to close at 137 And in lean hogs, green across the screen as the December contract added 27.5 cents to close at sixty five eighty. The February up 27 to close at sixty five ninety. Rounding out our markets with the Class 3 dairy milk futures. November up 12 today to close at 23.15. December down 15 to close at
0: 16.01. Ashton, why don't you tell us who we're talking to for today's interview? Today we're talking to Brent Simpson, who is from Yano Estacado Cattle Company. Today's podcast interview, we are talking to Brent Simpson, who is the Director of Operations for the Yano Estacado Cattle Company. Brent, thank you so much for coming on today.
1: Well, I appreciate the invite, and we're looking forward to having this interview so you can find out what we're about.
0: Well, let's get right into it. What exactly are you guys doing at Yano Estacado Cattle Company? Because I think our listeners are in for a bit of a treat
1: we are an old-fashioned upscale butcher shop we carry upper third of choice and prime beef a full line of pork a limited amount of very high quality chicken and then a variety of high quality sausages right now one of our uh, display cases is really oriented towards the uh, holidays coming up both thanksgiving and christmas and then several times a year, we've got it coming up in December 8th. We feature Wagyu. Uh, this year we're going to bring in some, uh, in December we'll bring in some true full blood A5 or A5 plus Japanese Wagyu ribeyes and are considering bringing in some of the olive Wagyu.
0: So I want to give our listeners a little bit of a clarification on what Yano Estacado is because I'm based here in Lubbock and you know just right up from the Yano Estacado so why don't you give us a little bit of an explanation on where that name comes from.
1: Yano Estacado refers to the region it is where you come in from the east and you rise uphill and the land flattens out into a plateau uh, the llano kind of leads into the south plains. It leads into the great plains. It's just a, a large, extremely large area of very flat land. Uh, no native trees. Uh, any trees you see around here were brought and planted by s- someone. They're not native, but it refers to that area above the cap rock that stretches all the way over into eastern New Mexico. As far south as the Permian Basin, the Middle of the Odessa area, all the way up into the western part of the Oklahoma Panhandle into the, what you call the Southern Plains and the Great Plains. We chose this name just to give homage because the bulk of the cattle in this part of the world end up, uh, end up on feedlots here. Uh, from here on north into the Amarillo area, and then our most cattle are processed in the Amarillo area at the Tyson and Excel and IBP plants, and then come back to us as boxed beef to the area. And we just wanted to pay homage to our where we were all born and raised at.
0: That's a great story, Brent, and definitely a. Oh- larger explanation and more information than I knew about the Yano Estacado. But moving on to where you guys get your beef. So you you mentioned that a lot of these cattle that are in these feedlots, and this is a very, very large feedlot area that we're in here in Lubbock, are are your customers able to bring in their own beef or pork or whatever they're they're wanting processed or do you just strictly provide them with the products you already have on hand?
1: We are not licensed to um, process animals you know the regulatory restrictions being here in Lubbock, Texas would be you know it's just not going to happen. There are numerous small privately owned processors in the area but we strictly deal with boxed beef, and then we cut it into individual steaks and cuts and roast. Uh, we can custom cut it to whatever the customer desires.
0: Gotcha. And when we're talking about those cuts, you know, I assume that you have the traditional cuts of meat, but you also are producing some novelty cuts as well. Is that correct?
1: Yes, Um uh, we sell a tremendous number of the tomahawk steaks. Uh, two weeks ago, we brought in some different cuts of meat and were able to uh, cut them down into an old-fashioned seven-bone steak or seven-bone roast that from time to time will bring in different items and market it in different ways that people aren't used to seeing. Uh, Super Bowl will bring back a bone-in New York strip. It's just kind of like a novelty item. It looks a little different, uh, gives customers something that th- they'll ask what it is and gives us a chance to form a dialogue with them and explain what we do, how to cook it, what makes this steak different from another's, and, you know, differentiate between the different muscles and the different cuts so that we can help them select the best one that fits their needs.
0: So I believe there, you know, towards the beginning of our interview, you were talking about how this was kind of an old timey thing. And I think, you know, the art of butchery is definitely something that's been lost, I suppose, as we have seen the rise of larger meat packers. And so with that being said, how exactly did you get into this line of business?
1: Well, as a child, my dad was a swift meatpacking man, so if my mom needed to run errands or something, she would drop me off at work, and I'd play hide-and-seek with the butcher between the hanging sides of beef, and uh when Troy and I became acquainted, I had left uh, the restaurant business, and I was in food sales, and at the company we worked for, I was in sales. Troy was the protein purchaser. And uh, then both of us left over a period of years, but we've always maintained a friendship. So several years ago, both of us had life changing events in our life. And uh, one day he called me and I had kind of thought of this idea. And uh, he called me just kind of out of the blue and we went and had a beer and we brought it up and we started developing the idea in January of 19 built this business from the ground up Our opening day was october 1st of 19 so we've just recently surpassed our first year and our first anniversary and uh we have been incredibly blessed during all of this uh the year of 2020 has naturally brought a lot of stresses and unevenness to the marketplace of we were able to always keep tight supply chains. We never ran out of anything, even during the height of the shutdown of some of the major packing plants. We were always able to secure all of the product that we needed and uh, keep our customers uh, fed with anything that they needed.
0: Well, uh, happy late birthday there to Yano Estacado Cattle Company. And, you know, even though that you, you guys have only been open for just over a year now, when COVID-19 hit, did you see an increase in your customer base or were there more folks here locally that were seeking out, you know, small artisan butchers like yourself? Or did you see any kind of influx in demand?
1: Uh, there was a tremendous influx of demand here in the, you know, the, uh, Walmarts were basically sold out of meat. Some of our other local retail big box grocery stores were having trouble securing everything. As a small business, uh, we were just incredibly blessed that we could keep our supply chains filled but how many people had to seek us out that they were new customers to us. We were able to fulfill their needs and we've made great friends and regular customers out of many of those people that were seeking us out when their other normal Avenue of, of getting their proteins uh, dried up. We were able to fulfill their needs and have been, Incredibly blessed that a lot of those customers have we have retained as permanent or regular customers,
0: absolutely, I think it's just amazing you know at least here in the Lubbock area, how much of the community is willing to support small local businesses and I just want to talk a little bit more about the future for Yano Estacado cattle Company, more particularly about wild game because you guys aren't packaging or, or you know, processing wild game at the moment, do you think that as the years come and as you expand, this might be an option for you guys?
1: I have considered it. Uh, there are very few people processing wild game this year. Uh, I only know of very few of them. Uh, I've got a list of them. If anybody needs it, they could call me and I could tell them what's available here in the Lubbock area. I have considered building a wild game deer slash pig processing facility down at the Yana Dakota Ranch in between Snyder and Gale. I do not know if I will go forth with that plan, but it is something that's on the back burner. And I'm kicking around the idea in the back of my head because there is a tremendous demand that uh, we're and the ranch is centrally located for this area that we're kicking around the idea. There's just a lot of logistics uh, to building a facility, hiring employees, getting the licensing. And uh, so we might look at something for next year, but uh, not going to do anything this year.
0: Awesome, Brent. Well, I just have one more question before I let you go. And that is, are you, just serving folks here locally or can listeners you know across the nation reach you guys and actually have some of your products shipped out to them
1: we are not quite to that point yet we are working with uh, fedex about getting over two-day shipping and getting flat rate shipping we would like to expand to that area There's a lot of logistics with the uh, regulatory regulation that you have on packing and uh, the types of packing materials you got to have in the cartons and pick up and delivery and getting them to all across the United States within two days that we have started the process of investigating that. We're just not quite to that point yet, but hope to be there soon.
0: Well, Brent, it sounds like you guys have done amazing things thus far, and we're excited to see how the future looks for Yano Estacado Cattle Company. Thank you again so much for coming on today, and best wishes to you.
1: Ashton, thank you for interviewing us and come into the store and see what we're about, and we look forward to meeting you, ma'am.
0: Thanks again there to Brent for coming on the podcast today and talking about the artisan butchery. And I, I think it's really a, a lost art, I suppose, because you can hear in Brent's voice really how, how passionate he is about this company. And, you know, they've only been there for a year, but I'm really excited to see how they grow.
2: Yeah, that's super cool. I think you're right. The butcher industry you know, the small town butcher, that's definitely been kind of a lost art, but I would say it's making a comeback now from COVID.
0: I certainly think that it is. And especially as, you know, younger folks get up into that working age, I think a lot of, of this generation, I suppose, is more interested in, you know, the artisan products. And so, Definitely think that they are going to find some success as they continue down the line. But we're always Mm -hmm. talking to successful people here in the agriculture industry on the Ag News Daily podcast. And you can follow along on social media at Ag News Daily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.